0: to you someone that many of you know but some of you may not her name is carolyn cook Uh, she is married to todd cook who is uh, todd cook is our connections pastor and is often up on the stage you don't often see carolyn except that she leads one of our worship teams and is often on the keyboard but today you're going to hear from her heart and i've asked her to speak to us today on this mother's day and so carolyn why don't you come up and do your thing appreciate you so much So I guess I'm going to do my thing here. (laughs) All right. So to start off, I just want to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there and anybody who's a mother figure. This is an exciting day for us where we get to get spoiled and then we get to catch up all week because we didn't do anything today. Um, I haven't spoken here in about five years, so it's been a while and um, I had a message that I wanted to share and when I found out it was going to be on Mother's Day, I thought, well, this is perfect because... My message stems out of being a mother. Todd and I, we have uh, four children. Two of them are right here. (laughs) Between the ages of 13 and 7, and we're pretty busy. Kids make life really busy. And about maybe a year, year and a half ago, Todd and I were driving. We went out for a date, which is sometimes rare when you have four children. And we were driving along, and I turned and made a statement to Todd I had had a devastating revelation. I had realized that I no longer had any personal goals or aspirations for myself. I don't know if any mothers here feel like that or anybody. Day in and day out, I looked after our family, I did the laundry and the dishes, and I went to work, and I did the daily routine, but I had no goals for myself. I'd lost who I was. And then I said to Todd, what's our life going to look like in 20 years? What happens when... The kids move out, we retire. Like, what do we have to look forward to? What do I personally have look, to look forward to? Who will I be? What will I do with my life? What will I enjoy? And what will define me? I was wrestling with this question at the time in my job, in ministry here at Pathway, in extracurricular activities, or as a mom, lack of extracurricular activities in my life. And I'd really lost myself. If you're a mother here today, I'm sure that you have had similar feelings. If you're not a mother, if you're a father, if you're just a person, if you're a human, it's so easy to get caught up in the obligations of our life and lose who we are. Forget who we are. So what were these feelings I was having? What was this void? Why did I have them? And what was I going to do about it? And then I think it was in the fall, maybe before Christmas last year, Nathan did a series. And in that series, he challenged us to discover what our passions were in ministry. And it was during one of these sermons, I had this like, aha moment. See, like Nathan, people do get stuff out of your sermons, so I encourage you. But I had this aha moment, and I was like, wow, I know what's wrong. The thing I'm lacking is passion. So after this aha moment, I said, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? I know what the problem is. So I started researching passion. What do we do with it? How do we get it? What does it do for us when we go after our passions? I'm a person who likes definitions. So I started looking up the definition for passion. I looked up merriam Webster's definition. The first thing that came up, which I thought was so cool, was the suffering of Christ. That was huge. That was the very first thing that popped up. And I looked in a couple other dictionaries and resources, and that's what came up there too. And we're going to come back to this shortly. But the other way that passion was defined was emotions that are intense, driving, overwhelming feeling or conviction, an outbreak of anger, affection, love, desire for or devotion to some ability, object, object or concept. The word passion is derived from the Latin word passio, which in turn comes from the Greek root word path or pain. In English, this is best translated as emotion or suffering of the mind. Therefore, things we are most passionate about cause the greatest emotional response in us. It's what drives us to move forward. So in my research, I also read an article that Forbes magazine had released. And in this article, they had interviewed a woman named Elena Love and Elena Love is the president of Purpose Link Consulting and she said that their firm had interviewed 3,500 people on the topic of passion and the research had showed that purpose and passion are integrally linked like two strands of DNA that make up the cord of life. Passion is therefore better defined as the outward expression of one's inner purpose. Demonstrating passion, therefore, means acting upon our inner purpose, putting our words and intentions into action. As we know, passion and our emotions can look really different. They can look good or bad. They can look righteous. They can be sinful. Emotions can be overwhelming, and they can even override rationality. If you're a mother, you have probably gone into mother bear syndrome, right? That would be overriding rationality sometimes. And then I thought, I wonder who some people in history, who would come to my mind that are passionate people? And right off the top of my head, it took about 20 seconds to come up with four. So the four I'm going to talk about today, the first one that popped in my head was Mother Teresa. I'm sure all of you have heard of Mother Teresa. She was one of the greatest humanitarians that has ever lived. She gave her whole life for the cause, passion. The second person that popped into my head was Martin Luther King Jr., civil rights activists he changed the world now because we're a hockey family my mind went next to Sidney Crosby okay so we're Canadian small town eastern boy had a dream was passionate about hockey and did everything he could to hone those talents and do the best that he could and now he's probably going to go down in history as one of the best hockey players that I've ever played but then the fourth one I thought of a, took a completely different turn, and that I thought of Hitler, Adolf Hitler. When you think about it, this is a German leader who poured his whole life into changing Germany into the country that he thought it should be. An attorney in infected the whole world. All these four people, very passionate people, all people who changed the world, all people who were exuding what they thought their inner passion was. So take a moment, think about what are your earthly passions? It'd be sports, music, pets, environment, uh, eating healthy, a charity, travel, whatever it is, you probably have some. I have a few, and you probably do too uh, To start, I would say my family. I'm passionate about Todd and I's family. I would say photography. I'm also passionate about worship. And I'm passionate about being outdoors. I love being outside, and there's a couple specific activities that I love doing outside. So when I do the things that I'm passionate about, I feel revived. I feel refreshed. I feel at peace. So I thought, okay, what I need to do is I need to set goals for myself. So I thought, okay, I'm going to be more consistent doing activities outdoors. And when I go outdoors, or we're doing fun family things, I'm going to strap my camera on. I'm going to take more pictures we, as a family, started to be more focused on doing activities together with just the six of us, spending time together. I changed my position at work through this time. And then I also began taking on a little bit more of a leadership role here at Pathway and the worship team. And as I set these goals and I started to strive after them, I started to feel like it didn't have as much a void inside of me as I felt that I had had. However, in this journey of discovery about passion, I couldn't help coming back to one main thing. And that was my level of passion in relationship to, my, to God. I wasn't satisfied where I was spiritually. I felt like I'd been in auto drive for a really long time. And I don't know if anybody else has felt like this. When I was younger, I was involved in a really active youth group. We loved God. We went and did ministry. I was so passionate about God. And then I went to Bible college. And then I got married. And life started to get busy. i Occasionally do some courses and stuff and read some books. And I even eventually became ordained, but it wasn't enough. I was stagnant. I was focused on my life issues. I was focused on some health issues I was having and on just being a mom, doing the housework, doing all that stuff. And I needed to get back on track. You see, in Scripture, we're told that we're created in the image of God. So if we're created in the image of God, that means he understands us because we're created like him. And it also says that we're created to commune with him. He wants to have a relationship with us. And in John it even says that he draws us unto himself. He wants to have a relationship with us. He doesn't just want to be an acquaintance. He's our loving father. And how can you know your father if you don't spend any time with him, if you're not passionate about him? So how do we do this? What does passion look like towards God? So then I started reading through some scriptures, and I read this uh, scripture in Hebrews, which if you grew up in church, you've probably heard or read a thousand times, just like I had. But this time, it had a whole new meaning to me. So we're going to look at Hebrews twelve one to 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight. And sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So, what's this saying to us? It's saying there's this path and we need to walk down it. No. It's saying take a little jog down the path. No. It's saying we have to run the race. And not only does it say to run the race, it says that we're called to run the race with endurance. This is no 100-meter sprint. This is a marathon. Has anyone here ever ran a marathon? Put your hands up. I want to see this. We had a couple in the first service. There's some. Okay, I can honestly say I've never run a marathon. I hate running. I actually think I'm passionate about not running. (laughs) Just to prove this, I brought my running shoes today. I've had these running shoes for three years or more, and they still look like they're brand new, because that's how much I run in them. Actually, like, if they're scuffed or anything, it's probably from me dragging my feet, wearing them not actually running. So even though I don't run, I do know some things. I know that running a marathon is really hard work. Running a marathon takes practice, it takes discipline. You have to build up your endurance. You have to make sure you're putting the right things in your mouth, the right foods. You have to put the right things in your mind or you won't be successful running the marathon. Another thing about running is that it's really hard as we've talked about. And it takes a lot of work, as we talked about. So running a marathon, you need support. And if you... I started reading up on marathons, and I was noticing that along the lines of the marathon route, there's always people who come. It's people who come to support their loved ones, and they hold up banners, and they cheer, and they encourage them. And as I was looking at all this online there was a whole bunch of catchphrases people would write on these banners as people were running marathons. And the one that I saw that was my favorite was, run like you stole something. (laughs) Think about that. Running with a deep passion to keep going no matter what, because your life depends on it. Now, this is the kind of marathon that Hebrews talks about, running with a passion. Running like you stole something. The other thing about a race is if you're not running, you're not actually racing. I'm not a hugely competitive person, but my husband Todd is. Who laughed? Was that Madison? (laughs) I'm not a competitive person. I enjoy games, but I want to play them to laugh. I don't want to play them because I have to win. But Todd is really competitive, and he kind of thrives on it. And so every once in a while, he tries to create competitions between us and so he'll come up and he'll say something like you know what we really need to be more healthy we need to exercise we need to eat better so let's do this competition where we um we figure out what our body fat percentage is and then we'll set a date in two months and whoever loses the most body fat percentage then they win and I'm like okay yeah all right you know we do need to be more healthy so we start this competition And so the first couple days, we're going strong, it's good. then the third day, Todd will find me in the kitchen stuffing a whole bag of like Lage chips down my throat. And he'll be like, what are you doing, the competition? I'll be like, "Eh, I lose, you win, yay you. And it drives him nuts. In something like that competition, I'm not running, so I'm actually not racing, Right? See, run is a verb. And like I said earlier, I like definitions. So I looked up the definition of run, thinking that I was going to have this outstanding definition come up. So I went to Merriam-Webster and I looked it up, and this is what it said. To go faster than a walk. (laughs) That's it. That's all it said. So I was like, okay, well, in my relationship with God, I'm pretty sure I'm not running But the good news is, if we realize in our relationship with God that we're not running, there's still time to start. But how do I know if I'm not running the race? Is it measurable? I go to church. I listen to the sermons. I join a life group. I teach in pathway kids. I sing the songs, and sometimes when it's a fast song, I kind of clap a little bit. That means I'm running, right? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. How many tea drinkers do we have up here? Put your hands up. Tea. Love tea. So if you're like me, you'll be at home one day and you'll just think, Oh, I could just use a great cup of tea. So you boil the kettle. And if you're British, you boil it a second time because you have to make sure it's hot enough. And then you put the tea bag in and you let it steep and you take it out and you put your milk or milk and sugar or whatever you like. And then you think, I'm gonna drink this, but oh if I take a sip right now, I'm gonna burn myself. So you set it down. But then you see you're a mother, and you're a multitasker. So you throw the roast in the oven, and then you think, oh, i got to put that load of laundry in. So you go and run and do that. And then you're on your way back to the kitchen, but you get sidetracked because one of your kids has a question about their math homework. So you help them with that. And then you think, oh, i got to go put those vegetables on to steam. So you run to the oven, and you go and put your vegetables on. You look over, and oh, there's your tea you made, and you're so excited. So you pick it up to take a big sip and it's room temperature. It's disgusting. Has anybody else done this? Because I do this all the time. Thank you for being honest. Oh, Dawson, yay. (laughs) (laughs) And it's gross. And the thing about tea is you can't even nuke it. Like, it doesn't taste well. Like, good, if you try to, you do it again. So what does tea have to do with passion? The thing is, the Bible is full of imagery, and I love that because I'm a really visual person. So when I picture somebody running a marathon or drinking a cup of tea or something, it makes sense to me because it's real life for me, right? So in Revelations, John wrote to the church of Laodicea, and as he wrote to them... Uh, he had some things to say because originally the church of Laodicea was a really strong, passionate, on-fire church. It's one of the first churches that was established by the apostles. And so Jesus had just ascended and they have his words right there and they're so excited. But you can tell from this letter that they're not there anymore. They're not where they used to be. So let's look at Revelations three fifteen to 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's clear here that this church has lost its zeal. The people in the church had become complacent. At first, I thought, okay, I've heard this scripture a ton of times, but then I was thinking about the imagery of it and the purpose that God was using that imagery for us. In this statement, I was thinking, what does this mean to be spit out of your mouth, And it's a sign of rejection, of disgusts, of something being revolting. But how can being a lukewarm Christian be disgusting and be revolting? So if we take a look at this scripture again, we have to figure out what hot, cold, and lukewarm is. So hot, how would that be defined? Hot is someone who is passionate about God, seeks them with all their heart, soul, and mind and strives to live a holy lifestyle. Cold, what would that be? Being cold would be someone who had never heard the good news of God's free gift of salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Never heard, doesn't know, never been exposed to it. So that leaves lukewarm. What's that? Someone who has heard the good news, but lacks interest or shows little enthusiasm It would be better if we had never known than we know the free gift of salvation and we're not passionate about God. I'm by no means today gonna like do this heavy sermon and preach about hell but the fact is that someday we're all gonna be judged and even if we can fool the people that are around us we can't fool God because he sees our heart and he sees it even when we don't realize the state of our own heart, he sees it. So I've always thought that setting goals are really important for myself. And through those, all these years, 10 years or so, I had kind of lost the value of it. And as I mentioned earlier, I um, had set goals for myself in my earthly passions. And one of those was being outdoors. And one of my outdoor activities I'm passionate about is cross-country skiing. So I decided this past winter that I would cross-country ski three times a minimum, if there was snow. (laughs) So this one day, uh, it was earlier on in the winter season, and I set out to the nature trails at Trent, and I was like, I'm going for a ski. This is great. And I started out, and I had a really positive attitude. Yeah, I'm doing this, fulfilling my goals. It's going to be great. So I got out there, and I started skiing, and I realized that the day was really mild. It was actually so mild that my skis were sticking to the snow, so if you've ever cross-country skied, you glide, right? I wasn't gliding. I felt like I had like two massive logs strapped on my feet, and I was just dragging them along. It was really hard work, so I get like, I don't know, maybe three quarters of the way through this trail, and I am sweating like crazy, and if you know me, I don't sweat, so this was a big deal. I was like, this is really hard, And so I'm going along thinking, oh, I don't know if I can do this. And out of nowhere, I see this sign that I've never seen before on this trail. And it says, shortcut to parking lot. (laughs) See, there it is. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Jesus. There's our shortcut. You know what? Today, it's too hard. Today, I've done enough. I'm going to take the shortcut. So I'm sitting there looking at it. And I look, and there's like a trail marker in the yellow there. And usually it says how much longer is left in the trail. But for some reason, they didn't have it on this sign. It says zero, which I know isn't true because I'm in the middle of nowhere. And I'm thinking, I have no idea how much longer this is going to be before I get finished. So as I'm contemplating, I ski up a little closer to the sign. And underneath, I see another sign. I so said, what's that say? And it says, hill, steep. And then you can see it's even like sharpied in steep, like they decided to add that later. And I was like, okay, you know, I still want to take the shortcut. You know, it's, I've done enough. It's too hard. No worries. It's a little hill. If I just go through that trail, I'll go down to the shortcut and it'll be fine and I'll go back and it'll be, it'll be easier. So I stood in front of this sign, no joke, for probably five minutes, partially because I couldn't get my breath back, but also trying to decide, shortcut, not shortcut, shortcut, not shortcut. In the end, I was like, no, I'm being stubborn. I set this goal. I'm going to complete it. So I kept going. So I kept going through the the woods, and I came down, and then I went through a valley, and I came up on another hill, and I looked back, and I could actually see the shortcut coming down off the hill. And I'm not joking. It was literally like straight down a hill, a path maybe this wide with huge trees. I would have died if I had taken the shortcut. And... I was thinking, that would have been so dangerous. You see, our spiritual life is like this. When it gets hard, when it gets uncomfortable, we take the shortcut, not realizing how dangerous the shortcut is. It's so easy to slack off in our passion for God. Take a couple days off reading our Bible or praying or going to church, and the days turn into weeks and then months and then years. And then before we know it, we stop and we realize that we're indifferent. And that we're lukewarm. We're going through the motions of every day with no passion. So if we're called to be hot, if we're called to run the marathon, what does that look like? So Todd and I, we have an issue. Well, actually, we have lots of issues. But we have one really specific issue that we struggle with. And that is we crave food. And specifically, we crave Pizza Hut cheese breadsticks. Has anybody ever had them? Come on. They are amazing. We will not even order pizza and we'll order breadsticks. So every once in a while, it'll be late at night. Let's say a Saturday night. and We decide, you know, the kids are in bed. Let's watch a movie. And so we go to put the movie on and it doesn't fail. One of us will turn to the other and be like, do you know what would be so good right now? breadsticks. And then it's like once the words are out there, you can't take it back and they get in your brain and you just you want breadsticks so bad. So then like responsible adults we stop and we're like, "You know what? We're not going to get these breadsticks. You know, number 1, it's not in the budget, okay? And number 2, it's going to make us fat. And number 3, it's going to make us really, really fat and we're going to have to do one of those competitions again and you're just going to quit and it's going to be really bad. So then what we proceed to do is we start rifling through the fridge, and then we rifle through all the cupboards, and then we open drawers that haven't been opened in 10 years, hoping that by some miracle, this snack's going to pop out that's going to, like, fill this craving that we have for breadsticks, but nothing else will satisfy. And we order the breadsticks, and we eat them, and we get fatter, and that's how it goes. (laughs) But this is the kind of passion that we need to have in our relationship with God a craving that nothing else will satisfy. The cool thing is that the business world has caught on to the importance of having passion. Just like that article I talked about earlier by Forbes magazine, I looked into it and there's a lot of consulting groups out there that basically make millions off of businesses because they've realized how important it is for companies to have their employees be passionate about their work. And in all the different consulting groups I looked at, they basically had four basic attributes that they recognized that passionate people had. And then as I started reading through all these attributes for the employees, I realized this is exactly the same for our spiritual life. It applies just as much to running our spiritual marathon as it does in the workplace. So I thought, we're going to take a couple minutes and go through them. Attribute number one is curiosity. People who are willing to go the distance to find the answers. Are we willing to go the distance to find out more about God? To seek him? To find out more knowledge about who he is and what he's called us to be? Sometimes we just have to step out and follow those questions that we have so we can get some answers. The second is courageous. People who are willing to be uncomfortable to go into the unknown, and then apply what they've learned. The fact is that in our culture today, being a Christian isn't really accepted anymore. In the last 50 or 60 years, we've seen a huge shift where all our grandparents, everybody went to church, everybody was a Christian, and it was accepted. But now our culture says, accept everyone, accept everything, make them welcome, dot, 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 accept Christianity. What used to be the norm has now become the exception. And sometimes it feels like in our walk that we're swimming upstream. But even though it's hard, it doesn't mean it isn't the right thing to do. So what do we do? How do we be courageous in our faith? If we haven't, join a church. Be involved. Join a life group. Offer to serve in some capacity in your church or do ministry in your community be willing to step out and maybe do something that you've been nervous to try before, but you feel called to do. Are you willing to be embarrassed to stand up for your beliefs if you have to? What about our coworkers and our family and our friends? Do they even know we're Christians? Do we live the lifestyle? Are we courageous enough to show that to them? We must be courageous in our faith. So the first one was curiosity. The second was courageous. The third is committed to exemplary work, not satisfied with the ordinary and everyday. I see, this is, a, I think, the point that I reached in my spiritual life. I wasn't satisfied with where I was. I'd gone into auto drive. Are we here today because it's what we do every Sunday, but we don't actually think about God till 11 p.m. the night before and think, oh, shoot, I should go to bed because I have to get up in the morning? Are we here because our spouse wants us to be here, and it's so much easier to come and spend an hour here than fight about it again? Or teenagers, are you here because you want to be here, or because your parents made you? Because would you much rather be at home playing Fortnite? Yeah, somebody clapped on that one. <laughs> what are our motives for being here? Are we willing to go the distance? Are we willing to give more than do more than the ordinary and the everyday? Are we willing to be exemplary even when it's too hard or inconvenient? How could God expect that much from us? We're already giving so much. If we go back to what Paul said about running the race, after he commissioned us to run the race, he goes on to tell us that Jesus has already gone before us. The scripture says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And this goes right back to the first definition I talked about from Merriam-Webster, the suffering of Christ. See, it's in the dictionary right there because this shows ultimate passion. He already went before us and he already did the hard part, and he knows what it will take for us to come behind and do it too. And even though it's going to be hard, that scripture also says to look to him. Because he's already been there, done there, and he's seated at the right hand of God. And he's there waiting for us. We can't be satisfied with the norm. We have to be exemplary. So we've gone through one was curiosity. Two, courageous. Three, committed to exemplary work. The last one, the fourth one, is community. People who surround themselves with like-minded people. See, this is why the church exists. The church doesn't exist to have pretty buildings and get money or anything like that. It's here, it's here so that we can be around like-minded people. It's why it's not enough to, listen, to say, I listen to podcasts or I watch TV sermons. We have to be around other people who are running the marathon. In my life, I have a few people that I uh, purpose to be around a lot. And I want to spend time with them because they're going in the direction that I want to go. And when I see their passion for God, it makes me become more passionate myself. I'm fortunate enough to say that one of those people is my husband, Todd. He's an amazing example to me of what passion for God looks like. And when I talk to him about it and stuff, it makes me want to be more passionate for God too. And by the way, it's his birthday today. Give him a hug. Embarrass him. (laughs) But... Even though I have these people that I want to be around because I see their passion for God, unfortunately, there's people that I've had to realize through the years, I have to have not as close a relationship with them. Because when I'm with them, I don't want to run the race. I just feel like walking. I feel like slowing down and going to the pace that they're at. Have you ever seen the bumper stickers that say, I break for turtles? Yeah. Yeah. I hate this bumper sticker with a passion. Now, don't get me wrong. I love turtles. I think they're great. I don't want turtles to die. And I don't purposely kill turtles. But every time I see this bumper sticker on the back of somebody's car, I revert back to my 16-year-old self in driver's ed... And remember my instructor saying, don't ever slam your brakes on for an animal because when you do that, it increases your chances of getting into an accident significantly. When I see these stickers, I don't think, oh, turtles, save the turtles. I think that's dangerous. People are going to (laughs) die. Okay, I didn't mean that that funny, but that was great. So, you see, in life, in every area in life, you're going to be surrounded in turtles with, with turtles, whether it's your earthly passions or whether it's your spiritual walk. And unfortunately, the people we spend the most time with rub off on us whether we like it or not. So if we break for turtles spiritually, it increases our chances of having an accident. It increases our chances of being complacent and becoming lukewarm. So this is why it's always important to be evaluating our relationships. I'm not saying you be mean to people and say I'm never talking to you again. But you choose how much time and what you're going to do with other people. You have to decide, are the people that I choose to surround me the most, are they turtles or are they cheetahs in their faith? Do they build us up and encourage us to keep running? Or are we too embarrassed so we slow down and walk with them? Or sometimes do we feel like we're the only one running the spiritual marathon and we don't want to do it by ourselves? So as I close today, I just wanted to say we all get lost. We all get busy. Mothers, fathers, whoever you are, caregivers, bosses. We get caught up in life. We get caught up in all the obligations we have. And sometimes we forget about running our spiritual marathon. And we use the term Christian pretty loosely we think we're doing fine. We think that we're doing enough. We try to fill our life with all these earthly passions, and that does fill some of the void we have. But the only way to fully fill the void is by running the marathon. I encourage you to take some time this week and just think about where you are in your marathon. Once you've realized where you are, just think where do I want to be a year from now? Do I want to be where that person is? This, this, this. What does the Bible say? What does he call us to be? And then once you realize where you want to be a year from now, set some goals. Start doing some things. Start going back to those four attributes. Start being curious and courageous, committed to exemplary work, being in a community. Because... You're not alone in this journey. You're not alone in this marathon. And this is what our church is for. So come and talk to somebody if you're struggling with this. We have a leadership team, pastors. We have people that will pray with you. But I just encourage you to take that challenge this week and figure out where you are in your marathon. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.